for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Lembet Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Greetings wherever you are in the world. Good morning. If you're in the United Kingdom, good afternoon or evening in Australia. I hope you're having a good night if you're in America. Uh, And good um, late lunchtime in the Philippines. Lembet Opic here. Uh, broadcasting globally on TNT Radio, the home of free speech, where we give our facts as best we can. We give our opinions, but don't pretend they're facts and ask you to do one thing. Develop your own point of view. You maybe agree with what you're hearing, then say so in the chat or disagree. You can say so again, or you can call up and have your say as best I can. I'll get your calls and comments on air. Uh, Coming up in this hour, we have, uh, of course, Gemma Cooper in just a few minutes sharing her unique perspective on the world as she sees it on this Friday. Friday's a good day for her. She's pretty um, optimistic on Fridays usually. Uh, Then we've got Amy Gallagher, who has been ostracized and caused enormous trouble uh, when she was studying uh, uh, to be a nurse and psychotherapist, uh, finding herself uh, in trouble for saying being white doesn't make you racist. So we'll get the latest on her on her campaign to try to rebalance the woke agenda in the health service. And we've got Nick Dark, who is a political commentator and human potential expert. He'll take give us the British view on the week that was. And then we have Gavin Ashenden. He was the Queen's chaplain in the United Kingdom. He's a British Catholic layman, former Anglican priest and bishop, ex-chaplain to the Queen, as I say, and an author. And he's going to give us a faith-based view about the state of the world. Uh, I think you'll find him really interesting. All of that with me in this hour. I just want to return to two stories that you've been hearing about. One is uh, a potential hostage uh, swap in uh, Gaza. It's hard to see exactly how that's going. Apparently 13 hostages being released on the Gaza side uh, in exchange for hostages from the other side. Will it work? Will the ceasefire hold? Or the pause in fighting, I think we want to call it. We'll find out soon enough. Uh, That's one which... uh, might potentially even de-escalate the situation, though not many people are predicting that. We'll see what happens. And then there is this fiery standoff in Ireland. Let's make no bones about it. The public think that migrants, a migrant was responsible for a mass stabbing of children in uh, Ireland, and they've taken to the streets because essentially they're complaining about what they think is uncontrolled migration. Now, couple that to what happened in the Netherlands. I was talking with Jeremy Beck about this just a few minutes ago. Uh, in the Netherlands, uh, Gert Wilders is often presented as a hard right politician, gained a quarter of the vote, 37 seats, which is a lot of seats in the Netherlands parliament. Is it the same phenomenon? Are people, the public, beginning to stand up against what they think is the all-pervading hegemony of uncontrolled immigration and uh, the other, what they maybe think is oppressive measures, such as forced COVID vaccination de facto, uh, and the the, the climate emergency lockdowns and everything else that could be coming. I wonder what you think. Do you feel that the establishment has inadvertently lined itself up for enormous trouble with the very people it's meant to, and I use this word advisedly, serve, not rule, not govern, but serve. The straws are in the wind there. And you heard also Jeremy Beck making the point, my fellow TNT presenter in the first hour, that Germany is really struggling now because it hasn't got the power uh, to 
environmentally, uh, climate neutrally run its economy. They actually knocked down a wind farm to reopen a coal mine. What does that tell us about the state of the environmental agenda? Could it be that this particular uh, conspiracy, the conspiracy that we are creating a climate crisis, has run its course, has had its day. Hence the ever increasing claims by people like the head of the United Nations that we are now in the era of global boiling. I've never seen an ocean boil, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't think I ever will. You let me know what you think about any of that. I'm Lemmy Topic. This is TNT Radio. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma Cooper, good morning. Uh, an hour later, how are you feeling? Getting more excited about your weekend? <laughs> I'm as excited now as I was an hour ago. That's all I can say about that. Yes, I am excited. Not that I don't love working for TNT radio, video, as we are now. I do. And actually, I'm going to be a guest on the Ross Cameron show on Sunday. And it's an Australian show. I'm really looking forward to that. So, uh, yeah, I'll still be doing my part for TNT over the weekend. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to a little bit of downtime and getting up those lights. That's it. That's all I'm thinking about. Lights, just... lights, lights. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you caused quite a storm in the chat. Some people say it's, uh, and I'm being euphemistic, it's a commercial rubbish. Other people say, bring it on, let there be lights. People like your phrase. Uh, just a couple of other comments I'll get here before we get into your stories. Uh, it's getting really wild here. Uh, Antono says, I feel I may not be the only one in the whole supermarket without uh, a mask on this time around. Uh, good on you, Anto. You may have been a uh, pathfinder the first time. I think a lot of people have seen the light in that sense. Holly indeed says, yes, Anto, I don't think folk are going to be quite so willing to step into slavery. Well, I hope not. It's because they're lazy, arrogant, ignorant, and they're being paid not to speak, Jeremy. That's a good point as well. Uh, one point about Andrew Bridgen, the British MP, who did take a stand uh, in the same way that Gemma Cooper did. Andrew Bridgen only had about a dozen in Parliament the last time around when he was talking. It's partly because of the way the system's working, actually. It was a debate where lots of MPs weren't really motivated to go. But I see your point. Andrew Bridgen, nevertheless, has had a huge management coverage. One more, and then we'll go to Gemma. Mazzy says, already having paid scarecrows in community, targeting supermarkets, asking to distance in queue, an argument broke out as the person was so over the top and they picked on the wrong person. Interesting if the supermarket trays tries to uh, reinstall any of this. The feeling around here has shifted. Uh, lots more comment there, uh, Gemma. Certainly when it comes to listeners of TNT, the awakening you've often predicted seems to be taking place. Oh, yeah. Well, that, without a doubt, without a doubt. The, the, and that's what this whole thing is about. It's what this whole global agenda is about, not just the last three and a half years, but the climate, uh, the restriction of movement, 15 minute cities, digital identities, central digital banking currency, cashless society. It is all to control us, to stop what is an energetic shift. It, it, without a doubt, is an energetic and spiritual shift that is sweeping the planet. Um, we've still got a long way to go, as we heard at the top of the last hour when you and I were talking about, you know, our, our elected representatives in the COVID inquiry, you know, yesterday saying we're all a load of conspiracy theorists for questioning, <laughs> questioning, that's it. And also direct experience of knowing people with vaccine damage. But also the story I'm about to go to, it's very interesting you've got the Queen's chaplain on actually in this hour, because I'd be interested to know what he thinks about this. 
Um, it, again, it's a them and us story, and this one involves King Charles. And I've brought this to the table on a Friday because I know that a lot of people in Australia are not fans of the royal family at all. And this one's going to prove, I think, why none of us should be, actually. I think you've mentioned before, Lembert, that you're a royalist. So let's see what you've got to say about this one. So King Charles... Pressure's on is- now. The pressure is on now. <laughs> Here we go. So King Charles, um, now that he's the king, he has inherited from his mother the Duchy of Lancaster, which is a huge estate in the northwest of England. Before he was Prince of Wales, he was uh, responsible for the Duchy of Cornwall. Now, this is land and it's huge and it generates a lot of revenue uh, for the privy purse. Uh, and, and these estates don't pay any tax at all. Um, But it turns out he's using an old, the estate itself is using an old medieval law to take money from dead people who die in the, in the, the uh, territory formerly known as the, the Duchy of Lancaster estate from medieval times as the land was carved up. If you die there now and you haven't left a will and you've got no next of kin, the Duchy of Lancaster can take your assets, which it has been doing, and spending these assets on property renovation, on holiday lets, on the estate itself. It says ostensibly that it takes the assets and, and gives it to charity, but an investigation here has realized hardly any of it is going to charity. It's all going into the privy purse, which is already quite full. And it's an old, ancient, medieval law called bona vacantia, which means vacant goods. So it means if you've got no next of kin and you die and you've got some assets, the crown can just come in, take it and and basically steal money from the dead. What's very, very sad about this story is a lot of the people that have died in this territory, which is a great part of the northwest of England. It spans Manchester, Liverpool, goes up to the Lake District. Um, A lot of them died in quite run down and, and poor circumstances. That's not to say they didn't have money and assets, some money and some assets. But these are the poorest and the vulnerable with no next of kin. Sound like they've had quite sad lives. And in comes the crown, takes all their money, um, spends it on things like renovating uh, holiday lets. Some money went towards a pheasant and uh, grouse shoot. Um, And uh, I just find it quite astounding that uh, these estates, which generate last year, the Duchy of Lancaster generated £1.2 billion worth of profit and money for King Charles. Uh, and there's no inheritance tax, there's no corporation tax paid on any of these, and they're taking money from dead people. Uh, it's just a them and us, feud- it's a feudal system that's still alive and well. And the other estate that, that is allowed to do it is the Duchy of Cornwall, that they do it too. So if you die in Cornwall and you've got no next of kin and you haven't made a will, then the you know the Prince of Wales' estate can come in and say, we'll have that, thank you very much, and we use it for what we want to use it for, which is generating more money, more profit, more money, more profit. This year alone, actually, um, the king from the Duchy of Lancaster estate has received £26 million. And sources are calling this, that there's been a couple of whistleblowers who obviously are sick to the back teeth of this. Apparently the Duchy estate, the Lancaster estate, just calls it the slush fund, free money. Um, it's just free money. Well, it's coming from dead people. And like you rightly say about the politicians, they're supposed to serve us. You know, mm. and the king, he talks about how they serve us. No, we're serving them and we're still in a feudal system. It's alive and well. And this is a story that I just think, if you are a royalist, mm. <laughs> that's up to you. Some questions need to be asked about how this is allowed to happen. Uh, I, I may be a royalist, but it's for economic reasons. I think that the uh, the royal family is quite good for British tourism. I don't think they run the country. I wouldn't really be in favour of a of an imperial government system. Uh, the point you're making, though, is really quite interesting because it implies 
that for centuries, the royal privilege to raise this money has remained untouched. But the question I'd ask you now is this. If you have no next of kin and you have no will, where should that money go? Well, this is what's interesting. So the law of bona vacantia, which means vacant goods, is in operation. Now, normally, if you die without a will and, and you've got no next of kin, under the law of bona vacantia, the money goes it's straight into the treasury and they are obliged to spend it on public services. So it's only if you die within the estates of the Duchy of Lancaster, which is a part of the geograph geography of the Northwest, it's only a particular part, or if you die within the estate of the Duchy of Cornwall, then they can take your money and put it straight into the privy purse. So, so don't die there is the message on this one. If you, if, if you die um, in, in test state without you know, any assets, it goes back to the treasury and they have to spend it on, on, on looking after us. But yeah, the Royal, they've used this loophole to generate billions of pounds of profit. Um, and, and King Charles's defense or the Duchy's um, defense, because Buckingham Palace won't comment on this one, but the Duchy's defense is, but the money's spent on renovating historic houses and buildings and preserving our heritage. Yeah, heritage that you're renting out and heritage that you're, you're selling as an asset. You know, pheasant shooting, really? Yeah, it might be your tradition. It's not ours. So it's preserving the rich, isn't it? It's preserving the way of life for the rich, but, but directly taking from the poor and from the vulnerable, which has been obviously the way we lived in a feudal system, but we're, we're still in it. We're still in a feudal system if you live in those areas, for sure. Although King Charles won't, I doubt he'd comment publicly, he might say privately, yeah, because I'm doing it in the best interest of the heritage of the country. And he'd say that what he's doing is keeping a little piece of ancient England alive. He's not taking the money himself. I mean, he doesn't probably ever spend money. So he'd say, that, that means that in Cornwall and in Lancaster or Lancashire, he's able to do good things. Yeah, for him, <laughs> not for us. Able to go do preserving the way of life for the rich, Lembert. Yeah, great. You, you know, the rich get rich and the poor stay poor. And it's always been like that. And I only hope that the awakening, which is sweeping the planet and will continue to do so um, at some point, probably not in my lifetime, we, we see enough of us and, and fewer of them in terms of how we perceive the world. And we just say, it's game over. It's game over. There's an no more there is an alternative. There's an alternative for you, Gemma. You've got the weekend. Why don't you take up pheasant shooting? Simple. <laughs> that is rhetorical. not going to happen. It's rhetorical. <laughs> I don't see you as a pheasant shooter. That's very close to a dangerous rhyme. Uh, thanks very much indeed, <laughs> Gemma. Uh, that's Gemma Cooper. What do you think about the fact that, I didn't know this actually, uh, the fact that in uh, these two very large parts of uh, Britain, the, the royal estate keeps the money and spends it as it wishes. Do you feel there's anything wrong with that? Let me know at tntradio.live. Just a few comments before we go to the break. Uh, these are a slightly eclectic group, so apologies if you've just joined us. They may not make uh, make sense, uh, but uh, for those who have been listening, Holly says, I remember the green and red lights outside a local Tesco mini store. Took one look and drove five miles to the farm shop. Idiots. And doesn't all that Perspex look a bit shabby? <laughs> I'm not... Uh, I'm not a, an interior designer, I have to admit. Uh, Holly Mr. Irons, Ireland story. Uh, the, the point is that there have been violent uh, clashes in Ireland because people are fed up with the fact that uh, 
there was a shooting. It's not sorry, not a shooting, uh, a stabbing of uh, children in uh, a school, and uh, it's associated with uh, uncontrolled immigration. That's what the public are saying. That one's definitely going to develop as a story. I think Andrew says a guy actually pulled out a tape measure in the queue one day because uh, because somebody got too close during the COVID lockdown. Hmm. Uh, how did how did the person actually maintain his distance while he measured the distance? Hmm. Uh, Jethro says Russia is about to finish off Ukraine. That's why NATO is getting jumpy. And one more from River. Um, do you ever fancy selling your soul and getting back into politics, Lambert? I don't think so. But thanks for the offer. I was asked that when I was in Parliament. You're unlikely to see me standing for Parliament. If I did, I'd have a very very good. Very good anti-woke reason. And that leads us to our next guest. That's Amy Gallagher. She's going to join us in a moment to give us the latest on her campaign to try and get a bit of common sense into wokeness and the NHS. All that with me, Lemmy Turpik, here on TNT Radio. I'm just going to do a little voice up. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. 22 minutes past seven, Greenwich Mean Time. Good morning, United Kingdom. Good evening, uh, Sydney and Melbourne. And good afternoon, Perth, uh, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me, Lambert Topic, here on TNT Radio for about another 40 minutes. A uh, couple of comments here. Uh, Holly says, and I want to know, Lambert, what were you doing scurrying around the corridors in the Houses of Parliament, gathering information and ammunition, I trust? Actually, I was doing some work to try to get rid of some really idiotic restrictions on uh, on uh, anti-money laundering, basically. Uh, there's a system which means that the government thinks that you reduce money laundering by getting three different organisations doing the, exactly the same checks on the same person, uh, because they think the more legislation and regulation you bring in on this, the, the less crime there'll be. Listen up, ministers. Crime is already illegal. You don't make it better by making Britain impenetrably difficult to do business in. That's what I was doing there. 
Ollie, and uh, I didn't even go to the bar. Uh, joining me next uh, is someone who continues our theme, our concern about wokeness, especially in the NHS. Amy Gallagher is a nurse and psychotherapist who's opposed to woke policies in the NHS, which had a practical effect on her. She's legally challenging these practices and advocating for change. In your own words, Amy, good morning to you. Tell us what happened to you and why you're running this campaign before we talk about how it's going. Yeah, thank you, Lambert. Um, yeah, so I, as you said, I'm a nurse and a psychotherapist. I was in my last year of training at the Tavistock and they were continually forcing critical race theory onto me, which is a worldview that essentially views white people as, as all being racist. And I disagreed with this. And because of that, I was bullied and put through disciplinaries um, and effectively cancelled. So I'm now running a campaign called Stand Up to Woke, um, which you, if you Google, you can find me. But I'm, I'm raising money for a legal case essentially to um, well, one of the one of the charges I'm bringing against the NHS is is racial harassment because they continually told me to um, interrogate my whiteness and so on. Um, but this should be the first of its kind within the NHS. Um, we, we are seeing some lawsuits in the UK with regards to critical race theory, but not not within healthcare. So yeah, that that's kind of my campaign at the moment. You said you had to interrogate your whiteness. What does that mean? Yeah, well, I asked them what it means and they don't seem to know what it means. Um, I think they just sort of, it's just like a dogma. It's like, it's something that they just say because they think that's, a, that's, that's the good thing to say. And um, when you ask them, what do you mean? What do you mean by whiteness? What do you mean? To, what does it mean to interrogate that? They just come out with all this nonsense about examining your unconscious bias and, and all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, I, as I said, it's, it's um, something that's rife within all, all institutions um, in the UK at the moment. I don't know if you know, you mentioned common sense, but the government have recently appointed a new minister for common sense. Um, and people are calling her the new anti-woke uh, minister in the UK. This is Esther McVeigh. Um, so apparently, you know, the government think that this is a good way to tackle uh, wokeness in institutions. But a lot of people think it's just a cynical ploy from the government uh, to try to look as if they're doing something. I guess I'd be interested, Limbit, to know what you think about the idea of having a minister for common sense. Um, this is a new role in the government. We've never had this before. Um, it, it would be very hard to find someone qualified to fill it in government at the moment that's what i think and my father my late father used to say sense is not common and i think that's the malaise that's happening what i would have though is somebody a minister who interrogates wokeness who asks yeah. them what do you mean by this word it made sense in the 1920s i think that's more or less when it was uh coined in America. And it was a worthy cause at the time, but it's been so hijacked now that uh, I, I don't think a minister will necessarily do much good. No, I mean, I think a lot of people rely on our, our equalities minister, Kemi Badenoch, who does speak about some of the inequalities um, that, that wokeness causes in terms of the treatment of, of, you know, white people being discriminated against and men being discriminated against and pointing out that equality is, is for everyone. It's not just for those who are deemed to be in the oppressor class. Um, so I don't quite know why there's been on top of that a new minister appointed, but I think some people are pointing out that it doesn't doesn't seem to make very good common sense to have a minister for common sense. Um, and in fact, common sense should run through the government. It should, shouldn't have its own department. <laughs> uh, Why don't we also have a, a minister, a junior minister for at Be Kind, 
That would be the other yeah. one. Uh, the people yeah. who use that face tent generally aren't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, exactly. this is the thing. It's, it's like going up to a really, really angry person and say, saying, don't be angry. <laughs> it doesn't yes. really tend to work. The, yes. the, 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 your whole campaign seems to be predicated on the need to make a mindset change, not a ministerial change, but mindset change. Do you think yes. that you can achieve this, Amy? Hopefully. I think people are changing. Um, I think people are gradually changing their mind with regards to these ideas. I mean, in the UK, I mean, the UK seen as a quote, turf island, trans uh, you know, feminists who challenge trans ideology are really making a lot of headway in challenging that. Um, and I think critical race theory as well is being only only gradually, but it is starting to be challenged. And I think people are becoming more confident in speaking out about woke ideology. I think maybe two or three years ago, people have been very nervous to challenge some of the dogma around trans and, and critical race theory. I think now people are becoming more more able to do so, especially with, with you know, uh, media outlets like TNT Radio and GB News, and it's becoming more accepted to have a, have a different point of view other than woke. But I think there is a long way to go because the issue is, you know, people are having these conversations outside of the institutions, but the institutions are very much still pushing these ideas. And that's the problem. The, the, uh, the point, it seems to me, at the heart of your campaign is that the colour of your skin doesn't determine your level of racism. Uh, is it yes. true that you said being white doesn't make you racist and you were punished for that? Yes, that's right. So this is a new, a whole new way of, of uh, looking at race, th these ideas, in that there are old civil rights movement, you know, the Martin Luther King idea of not judging a person by the colour of your skin and everybody being seen as of equal value. That is now seen as... Uh, you know, old news, basically, that's seen as if you go along with those ideas, you're seen as that you don't fully uh, recognise the racism that black or Asian people experience. And in order to do that, you need to view, you need to kind of treat them more better, treat them better than you treat white people or see white people as the problem somehow. So if you just treat everybody as individuals, you're somehow uh, not not allowing uh, racism to be seen or talked about or, or challenged. That's the idea. But what it ends up doing, and I is it ends up meaning that people are treated differently because of their skin colour. And people are saying, well, hang on, this goes against our Equalities Act and this goes against ordinary ideas of, of, of treating people equally. And where are, is your legal uh, action now, finally, Amy? Yeah, so we're, we're getting there. I think trial won't be for another year or so. Unfortunately, litigation can be a very long process. Um, but I'm still campaigning. I'm still raising money for it. Um, um, we're, we're all on track, but it just takes time. We're waiting to hear back from the courts. If it takes long enough, you can actually say they discriminated about you against you because you're a pensioner. Yep, good point. Ageism, yep. <laughs> Although that might be a very long time. I'm not, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wasn't implying that you were. I'm implying that it could take 35 years to do it or 40 take, years to yeah, do it. God. Yeah, uh, hopefully I'll still be alive by the time the trial comes. <laughs> where, where can people find out more about your campaign, Amy? Yes, yeah, so if you Google Amy Gallagher, Tavistock, or just look for Stand Up to Woke on GoFundMe, you can find all about my case. Yeah. Thanks so much, Amy. Have a great weekend. No doubt we'll hear from you uh, next week again. Uh, that's Amy Gallagher, who's standing up to woke.
Uh, what do you think about what she said? Uh, makes sense to me. Maybe I've missed something about Woke. Well, then get into the chat. Uh, love to hear what you have to say about that. Uh, the royal family discussion about the Duchy of Lancaster, I think it's the Duchy of Lancaster, has caused a lot of comment. You can have a look at that in the uh, in the chat, which I can't possibly keep up with, but I do like this one. Hollis, Hollis uh, in referring to... Uh, uh, this, if you've seen Monty Python, you'll understand this uh, completely. Uh, Holly suggesting there should be a minister for funny walks. Yeah, very good. Um, and River says, get away, Esther. Common sense. Uh, Mazzy says, mockingbirds. I think there's a certain amount of cynicism going on here, folks. And uh, River says, this is getting beyond the pale, no pun intended, about race. Thank you very much indeed. Like it. Very good. I'll steal that one. Uh, coming up in a moment, we've got Nick Dark in the United Kingdom. Uh, she is a human potential expert and political commentator. She's going to give us her view of the week that was right here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Live. This station, the first to broadcast. Breaking news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. 49 days after the war began and following the deaths of nearly 15,000 Palestinians, a temporary ceasefire is now in effect in Gaza, with the first hostages due to be released within hours. The United Nations Security Council has again failed to reach a resolution on the war, with Washington continuing to block any attempts to implement a lasting truce. And riots erupted in the city of Dublin on Thursday night after a mass stabbing at a primary school triggered widespread outrage. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Live. Greetings, one and all. It's just after half past seven in the United Kingdom, uh, just after half past six uh, on the east side of Australia. Wherever you are in the world, you're welcome uh, to my show. I'm Len Topic. This is TNT Radio, the home of free speech. Uh, and do get involved in the debate. Uh, we've just been talking about critical race theory. Mogden asks, if you take away the word theory, what on earth does critical race even mean? Mazzy says Equality Act uh, looks a bit cynical about that. Uh, and uh, River's giving uh, you, Amy, some support there. Uh, in terms of the royal family, uh, Merciless Ming says the king is in his counting house counting all our money. Uh, suspect you're not too happy about the, the billion plus which uh, is being turned over up there in the... Uh, uh, Duchy of Lancaster. Uh, good morning to you, obviously, Mr. Ming. And one more, Minister of Common Sense. Really? Says Mazzy. I'll leave you to be the judge on that. Somebody with an abundance of common sense joins us now. It's Nick Dark, a human potential expert and political commentator, to review the theme or the themes that she's noticed and she draws out from the week's politics. Good morning to you, Nick. Good to see you again here on TNT Radio. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Always a delight to be on. What's your um, what's your theme for the week, do you think, that you've noticed? Well, I've noticed a couple, but I think one that we can pluck out and chat about this morning is the theme of accountability and burden, be that of, of proof or responsibility and evidencing. And I was going to pluck out immediately and just start talking about that with respect to the autumn statement. That's, so, the, that's, the, budget, that's the budget statement by the Chancellor of the UK. 
Correct. So without going into too much detail of that, the basic principle is we get to hear what a state the country is in and then the detail of the, the fiscal paper pushing that needs to be done in order to account for it. And really what we're learning here is the mismanagement of taxpayers' money and debt that we find ourselves in because of the structures and processes and um, levies that the government puts in place, its choices it's made, its management, its mismanagement, and the consequences then fall on the taxpayer. So we hear all about how COVID cost the country uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds, and that actually then what we hear as a result is where we're going to get money cut or where we still have to pinch in our purse and uh, who, who gets to benefit and who doesn't. And what's interesting about this is that we forget the relational dynamics between us and government in that actually all this money they're talking about is tax money, is taxpayers' money, is how we fund the government. So what, what we're looking at here is almost the, someone who's doing a job for us and saying how terribly done it's been, um, but you're still going to have to continue to keep paying for it. Uh, the, 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 just the, the response on that could be, uh, as, as developed yesterday, that it wasn't even all that uh, honest. It was disingenuous because it could be that the tax burden is actually going to increase because of the, the plans that they've got, not reduce. Yeah, exactly that. Um, quite. Well, we know politics is always about spin, right? Um, being told that you're getting a good deal. It's a sales pitch. Um, and kind of, I think it, I want to draw this out because I think it's important people start to question this um, and understand that actually the phrase, there's nothing so certain as death and taxes, actually needs to be questioned, you know, um, because actually tax, you know, came around originally uh, to fund wars. And so, you know, it's kind of stayed and it's got bigger and bigger and more and more bloated. And as, as a nation, you see the news and you see Vox Pops, people speaking in response to the budget. And actually, what I noticed this week, most common response is, yeah, well, you know, we, we'd have liked more. We, we'd have liked to be able to take, take home more from work pay, you know, lower tax threshold, you know, like more on the, on the bottom line of, of daily spend and cost of living. But, but, you know, it's better than nothing, isn't it? And it's sort of this breadcrumbing that people are willing to accept from an ever-increasing bloated state. Uh, and as I say, it's, it's, it's mismanagement at that end and consequences dealt with at the other end, with, at, at our end. And you also look at the dynamic of that to the point of your calling out the disingenuity of it is transparency about what's going on. Uh, again, there's a double standard. So when you submit your tax return, you have to be thoroughly detailed. Every penny has to be accounted for, who you've done business with, where it's gone. Mm. Um, and that all has to be displayed for the government to, to know and, and, and take its amount. But when the government's telling you where the money's gone and how it's been spent and what is going on, there's a tremendous disparity in the amount of clarity and accounting that we get. Uh, and so I'd also like to bring up the phrase private citizen, public servant. And that should be the level of transparency that we're looking at across the board. We're a long way from that. We're in a situation where the 
private citizen isn't meant to fly around anymore, but the public servant can because of the illusory climate crisis. Uh, have you seen any other examples of accountability in the way that you're describing as a as a, uh, a human potential expert? Yeah, exactly. So um, two interesting articles this week came out about the child maintenance service. So for those that don't know what that is, that's obviously a government unit that deals with payments between parents when the family unit has broken up to ensure that a child is paid for. Now, what's interesting about this is what's been called out in these articles is that three things. The child maintenance service is uh, raising liability orders against paying parents without the need for going to court. So they're essentially able to raise a court order without court. So they can raise a liability order without evidencing the the proof for uh, what they're stating that you're liable for. Uh, Secondly, uh, it's becoming clear that there is legislation in place that if you wish to challenge this in a court of law, uh, the legislation dictates that a judge is precluded from checking the child maintenance calculations. So you can't even get to the truth or... or Hang on, why, why not? Hang on, how can that even be just? It's not, and that's the point. And that's what we're looking at. Aren't we looking at justice, accountability? How do we have justice? How do we have democracy if we don't have accountability and, and fairness? And with this point, exactly, that's actually a breach of, um, you know, right to fair trial, ultimately. Um, so it's that's a huge thing. Uh, and it's obviously gone relatively unnoticed, but I do feel it will be picked up more. Um, and on top of that, what we're seeing is the calculations are incorrect and people are being penalized obviously and so therefore we're sort of looking at almost like false accusation and and so yeah we we come into this dilemma of uh lawlessness and double standards of you're prosecuted and penalized according to the system but the system doesn't actually even abide by its own rules uh, all this lack of accountability seems to be contrary to what we're told day in day out that we live in a democracy where the those public servants are meant to be serving the private individual. How optimistic are you that we can rebalance this? Well, I think that's what's happening now. Um, We're going through a period of time where people are starting to see more and more the disparity, the lack of accountability. And that's why it's slightly disheartened about people's responses to the budget of, oh, okay, well, it's better than nothing. Um, Because the thing is with democracy is that we have to get involved Democracy is not about outsourcing and expecting it to be fixed by the powers that be. Democracy is execution of the people's will by the people that we choose. So with things like the autumn statement, if this is not what we want and this is not good enough for us, then we need to make better choices when it comes to voting time. We we need to have our voice heard more clearly ra- rather than taking this on. Um, and it requires all of us to, to stand up, actually, and not just accept um, what the state tells us or expects us to do or where we see injustice, we, we have to challenge it. And that obviously is can be sort of a David and Goliath issue sometimes because we see the heaviness, the formality and the legal powers and, you know, the royal seal and all this kind of thing behind a state entity. And us as individuals look at that and think, uh, how can I how can I challenge? How can I take this on? Mm-hmm. But the point is, there are many of us. And that is that is, again, what democracy is about. 
we were talking about the royal family before and and them taking our money jethro observes very prescient point our money it doesn't have a picture of my mum on the back thanks very much indeed nick dark have a good weekend we'll see you next week as well what do you think about this point about accountability a theme which uh, nick has noticed this uh, week in particular over the last couple of days let me know do you feel there is accountability can we grab it back here at TNT Radio, we're trying to people keep people to account, including ourselves. So get involved in the chat. Uh, coming up next, I'm very excited by this. We've got Gavin Ashenden, a British Catholic layman, former Anglican priest and bishop, and a former chaplain to the Queen. Whether or not you're a royalist isn't the point. This person has had insights that few of us could have imagined. I'm looking forward to having him with me, Lembitopic, here on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. With Joe Biden behind in just about every presidential poll, the strategy of the left seems to be to go after Donald Trump even harder than they've been doing for the past eight years, if that's even possible. And on the media side, Joe Scarborough, whose brother-in-law works in the Biden administration, seems to be leading the charge. He will do, he will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Just look at his past. And as unhinged as that was, it's nothing compared to what New York Democrat Congressman Dan Golden said the other day. It is just uh, uh, unquestionable at this point that that man cannot see public office again. He is not only unfit, he is destructive to our democracy, uh, and he has to be uh, he has to be eliminated. Now, after receiving some well-deserved criticism, Goldman apologized, said he didn't mean to use that word, eliminated, et cetera, et cetera. This is all the left has left, so watch for more of the same. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday to Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Need a ride? Yeah! Driving with kids is a big responsibility. Hop in and buckle up! So don't sweat the small stuff. You got paint all over our paper! Get the big stuff right instead. What does that mean? Like making sure your kids are in the correct car seat and buckled up for safer travel. That deserves a wiggly wiggly wig! To make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. This is the Limbit Opic Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Just after quarter to eight in the United Kingdom, just after quarter to seven in Sydney and Melbourne and a bit earlier in Perth. Thanks for joining me, Lembitopic, here on TNT Radio, where we find the facts, kill the spin and tell it like it is as best we can. All you have to do is think for yourself. Uh, many of you doing that in the chat today. If you want to get involved in the chat, uh, it's open 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. TNTradio.live is the place to go. Uh, once again, I will explain exactly why this is being said. If you've been listening, you'll understand. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Holly says, I have to say, I know a lot of men who whose wives, girlfriends have left them, have the children, but still expect them to pay for everything. And some very difficult in this day and age, people don't understand their rights. Uh, yep, I know a lot of people in that situation also, Holly. And uh, Rivers says about accountability, shameocracy. We'll just vote them out next time. Oh, wait. Mm. Yes, I think you've underlined the problem there. And uh 
we shall see uh how that develops um right uh let's go to our next guest is gavin ashenden uh british catholic layman and the former queen's chaplain you don't have to be a royalist to find him interesting uh good morning gavin thanks for joining us on tnt radio oh limit hello thank you thank you very much for having me on your show I understand you're in a very you have a very beautiful uh location for a property in Britain which is Church Stretton which I happen to know very well on the A49 between Monmouth and uh <laughs> yes. and, and Shrewsbury I used to ride that up and down all the time you're a motorcyclist as well aren't you I am I've got a, a BMW 1200 uh Tourer and uh, uh whenever I'm going back from the south east from London the temptation is do I always do I go to Monmouthshire and drive up all the way up the A49 from um mm. uh from Thingy Bob Abbey for goodness sake where's where's Tinton Abbey Wordsworth Tinton from Tinton Tintin. it's just the most it's one of the most beautiful roads in, in the whole country it's it's incredible right up the north the Welsh border the flying churchman by the sound of it now I'm aware there are lots of people who are not very keen on the royal family and others who are leaving aside the politics of it what was it like to serve the Queen well uh, I I think we probably can't leave aside the role well no we can read the, the, the personalities but um one of the things I want to say to people who are not royalists is how would you like to have one of the American presidents as your heads of state, or, or even Macron, um, uh, because what what the royal family does is, even if you don't see any virtue in them either personally or corporately, they keep the politicians away. So they they fill a space constitutionally and politically that means people who wield political power can't get their hands on the rest of us quite so effectively. They're a kind of buffer zone, a cordon sanitaire. And so, um, although of course people in the family have failings, and you might or might not like the king, you might have been a huge fan of the queen or not, they do an excellent job in terms of preserving us from more political manipulation. And for that for that reason alone, but there are a lot of other good reasons, um, I think they're to be to be valued and treasured. There are many who may disagree, but we won't go into royalist debate today. It's not really the main purpose today. What I'm really interested in is your take on. Uh, well, potential faith transitions, roles in Anglican and Catholic churches, and, and more mm. specifically, uh, at a time of tremendous political and military turmoil around the world, the extent to which you feel it's justified for many to blame religion for the woes of the earth. <laughs> oh, well, that's it's a, a small that's a question. Great question but, no, it's a great. It's, not, it's a great. It's a great question. I, um, <clears throat> people may not. I'm sure they won't know that I spent 25 of my year, uh, years working as an academic at our pretty well our most red brick university. Um, uh, certainly, would claim would claim to be the most Marxist university of all the Marxist universities. But for, for that reason, yeah, was Sussex, from... yes, that's right. How did I <laughs> know? How did I guess? I know, exactly. I was a senior lecturer in the psychology of religion based in the English department, and I was also the university chaplain running an interfaith chaplaincy with um, uh, with Muslims, Christians and Jews in it. So um, one of the things I faced from day one really was people, faculty members uh, who were very anti-religion. But the, um, the thing about intelligent professors who are atheists is they're very they're very easy to debate because they haven't had a fresh thought since they were 11. They became atheists quite early on and then and then stopped thinking about things. Anyone who thinks about things looks at the history of the 20th century and sees that uh, 
the, the two great, if you like, atheist political powers, uh, and that's uh, Marxism in Russia and uh, and um, uh, the I mean, Nazism in Germany. Oh, I see. Uh, Nazism in Germany. I mean, people think that Nazism may have had a religious content, but um, mythologically, but not, but not pragmatically. Um, they caused the more more deaths um, than human civilization has ever known before. So if you take the 20th century and you say this was a century of, of secularism, after all, where was the power of the church? It wasn't anywhere. Um, it, it was the most violent conflagration imaginable. So I think when people say religion is a problem, what they really mean is human nature is a problem. It doesn't matter where you are, what you do. Uh, human nature is such that human beings fight each other and they kill each other. Um, what religion does when it works well, and sometimes it works badly, is it begins to contain human nature and in the best cases, transform it. And so from a Catholic Christian point of view, you look at the saints, whether you choose St. Francis or Mother Teresa, and you say, this is, this is how religion works when it's good. And most people look at that and they say, that's not at all bad. But if you want to know how human nature works when it's bad and uncontained, look at the 20th century. It's not about religion, it's about human beings and how, how we get to be contained and changed. Uh, looking at the, uh, incidentally, there's quite a lot of chat here. You don't need to reply to all of this, but uh, um, <laughs> uh, River says just about the uh, the uh, royal your royal connection, a billion pound buffer zone. How spiritual! I mean, we were talking about uh, the Duchy of Lancaster before. Um, Mogden's well, I wasn't, I wasn't talking. I, I wasn't making a spiritual argument, and and actually, uh, River probably being a fair minded person would want to say. Um, how much does the royal family bring in in terms of income from abroad? And the answer is quite a lot. Uh, and how much does it cost? And I guess it probably the book's probably balanced more or less. But but I I, I wasn't making a case for um, uh, for for royalism at all. I was making a case for uh, for a political equilibrium and saying the better way of having political equilibrium is curtailing the power of the politicians and in, in a sense the royal family occupy a buffer zone and do that and they're probably economically neutral i would think when you work out the pluses and minuses in the end Jethro wants to correct you. He says it's not Nazism, it's National Socialism. Nazism, I, I, Jethro, I think Nazism, we tend to know what people mean by that but uh, technically you're correct. Uh, uh, well, I that's think, a that's uh, a, that's a, a very I mean, it's a very serious debate because he's absolutely right. It was national socialism. The, the problem was that Hitler mixed a number of factors into his um, his heady uh, political movement, um, and and in one sense, German Nazism or national socialism occupied politically spectrums both on the very left and on the very right at the same time. On the right because it was about nationalism, on the left because it said it was about socialism. So it was a very toxic mix of both extremes at the end of the political spectrum. But I don't think the point is to score points from the left or from the right. Uh, it's, to say, it's to say, what do human beings do when they go mad with evil? What does it look like? Because both, both Marxism in practice and national socialism in Germany uh, drove people mad with evil. And they did the most dreadful things. And the human nature requires us to try and find ways of keeping people sane and good. And just at the moment in our cultural history, we're on a tipping point about people becoming mad and evil and choosing between that and sanity and goodness. And we're at a very serious moment, I think, in cultural history.
And as we move on, Jethro, once again, I'm only reading these because I find these comments interesting. Uh, so to be accurate, no, it's, Marxism and, uh, it's Marxism and socialism, and also because in free speech, we, we have to be able to put all points of view. Uh, thanks for that, Jethro. I want to come to the present day now. And uh, I think in, if it's okay with you, I'd love to bring you on to talk specifically about the role of the monarchy on, on occasion. But on, on today's occasion, especially given there's meant to be a prisoner swap or a hostage swap in in Gaza and Israel, to what extent do you believe that the issues in Israel and Gaza are religiously motivated? I ask this question in the context that I've always tried to say that Zionism, the Israeli state, is not the same as the Jew, Jew, Jewish religion. But somebody said to me two weeks ago, I was wrong about that. Where do you stand? First of all, if we, if we were having an in-depth conversation, I'd say let's try and ban the word religion from it, because it, essentially what it masks is that everybody has a philosophy of life. And whether you have a secular philosophy of life or a religious one or a superstitious one like New Age or, a, or, or one to do with fitness, you can either say everyone's got a philosophy or everyone's got a religion. Best use the word philosophy, but but um, in which case I would then say that in the Middle East you have a number, you have you have three particular competing philosophies. Um, you have Islam, obviously, and, and and again, it's quite important to free Islam from being treated only as a religion because it's an immensely sophisticated hybrid of both religion and politics. It's quite as much a state political movement as it is a religion. Uh, uh, just in brackets, part of the difficulty of discussing Islam is very often when you discuss it as a religion, you find it's behaving as a political entity. And when you discuss it as a political entity, then it says to talk to us as a religion, please. And it's really quite problematic from a Westerner to deal with, because in the West, we're so used to separating politics and religion, we can't get our head around a system that fuses them intricately. So you have Islam. Well, then you have you have uh, two kinds of Jewishness. You have Zionism and Judaism. Zionism is essentially for secular Jews um, who who don't accept, who repudiate religion, and they simply say, uh, "We were here four thousand years ago, and we'd like to come back." Everyone's been very mean to us. Everyone deserves a place to live. This is our historical place. We are the indigenous people. If you're going to give rights to indigenous people in the Amazon and in America, uh, why are they, why are we the only people who you won't treat as the indigenous of the land? We got here a thousand, two thousand years before the Arabs. So if you're going to do it in terms of who was there first, we were there first. Please leave us somewhere to live. And that would be okay if the Arabs who got there initially in 700 and and since uh, hadn't sworn to, to to kill all the Jews, hadn't sworn to commit genocide. If if the, if the Arabs and the Muslims would only say, "Yeah, we'll 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 try and rub along together," like like all the rest of us have done. Um, then the situation will be much less problematic. At the same time, in the Middle East, you have other uh, religions. There's a very splendid Armenian Christian presence and also Palestinian Christian presence. People talk about Palestinians imagining they're all they're all Muslims, but actually for a very long time, there were a good many Palestinian Christians. So it's a composite mixture, but essentially the dynamics are determined by uh, by by Jews who are both religious and political and Muslims who want to destroy all the Jews. And all our arguments is um, who started it. Uh, that's not a question we'll be able to answer in the next 30 seconds. But I really do hope Indeed. we can get into this again, uh, because you've set the scene for the issues involved. 
um, I suspect that the nuances aren't often covered by the mainstream media because it's complicated and it's a bit icky. Would you be willing to come back and talk in more depth on two separate occasions I'd, at least uh, I'd, about I'd love to. I, and I, about religion? Yes, no, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I think I think it's very important. I mean, uh, uh, I, I was a chaplain to the Queen and I'm I'm fond of the, the royal family, but I'm not sure I would say I'm a royalist. Um, so okay. I probably occupy a position nearer, nearer the middle ground uh, for most people. But as for well, the... Conflict in 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 the Middle East. One of the things we've discovered, particularly from um, from so you got to go. You're I'm making, you're making noise. We've got to wind up. Yeah, we're out of reckon, time. I reckon that's noise. It's a cliffhanger. Thanks so much indeed, Gavin Ashington. <laughs> I think he's going to be a rich seam here. You don't have to be a royalist to have served the Queen. Thank you so much uh, to Gavin Ashington and to all our guests today. The time flies. I hope you found this interesting. Hope you're going to have a good weekend as well. I'll be back on Monday, of course, as always, 6 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, lots to enjoy over the weekend on TNT Radio. Thanks, everybody in the studio. Thanks, everybody in the gallery. And thanks to my producer as well. Uh, I hope that you have that fantastic couple of days. I'll be seeing you on Monday here on TNT Radio.